This is JCU Conversations, a podcast show from James Cook University, Singapore. Tune in as we ask experts in the industry more about their lives and their approach to success. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's listen to today's episode. Hi, I'm Rajneesh Kurup. I'm the Segment Strategy Director for Equinix Asia Pacific. I'm also the President of Australian Alumni Singapore and a JCU alumnus. Our guest today is Mr. Phil Forrest AM. Phil is a non-executive director of several mostly Australia-linked companies in the region and was previously Asia head for NZ Bank. He also serves as a member of the Board of Advisors and the chair of Business School Advisory Subcommittee at James Cook University, Singapore. Welcome, Phil. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Raj. It's great to be with you. So for starters, Phil, what are some of the duties and responsibilities of a director? Well, the old saying is that managers direct uh, manage, <laughs> <laughs> managers uh, manage and directors direct. Um, uh, so m- directors don't have uh, any role to play in developing sales or contributing to manufacturing or whatever. They tend to sit in a small room and discuss strategy and provide oversight. Uh, They're a little bit like the conductor of an orchestra. Um, They don't have any instrument to play, but somehow they have to try to get the best possible performance out of the orchestra or out of the management. Uh, And they focus or should focus on two aspects of two main aspects of the business. Conformance, which is following the rules, making sure that the company pays its taxes on time and follows the health and safety rules and does their financial statements properly and that kind of thing. Uh, And performance, meaning getting the best possible results for the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. You have had an illustrious career spanning across decades. What are some of the most valuable lessons you have learned along the way? I'm not sure about the illustrious part, but I would say from from my experience in business development, particularly in banking, in wholesale banking, um, my my recommendation to people would be don't let the short term get in the way of the long term. Um, Don't don't rush things. Take time to build relationships with um, potential clients. Get to know them before you ever try to to make a sale. Show respect for them. Try to understand their needs, their problems, and how we can help. Focus on building long-term relationships, Mm -hmm. not just getting transactions done. Because everybody, I think, prefers to buy from people that they like, people that they consider their friends, people that they feel that they can trust. So... Don't uh, sell products, try to find solutions to their problems. And the other thing is maintain your integrity. Uh, If if customers or staff or the community generally start to doubt your integrity, then it's very hard to recover from that. Can you share a pivotal moment or experience that shaped your career uh, and made you who you are today? Is it okay if I give you more than one? Oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think the, the big turning points of my life, the big decisions that did have an impact, 
were first of all the decision to go into banking and international banking at that. So that that opened up a lot of uh, of possibilities. And then taking the decision to leave Australia and to go overseas. First stop was New York, but then I came to Asia. Uh, and, and so that was a huge turning point. Uh, and I was lucky that I finished up in the ASEAN region because I still think 40 years later that this is the most exciting and dynamic uh, uh, region in the world with the, with the greatest opportunities. Um, I got involved with the Australian Chamber of Commerce, first of all in Thailand, then in Singapore, and other not-for-profit organizations, business-related organizations. And I think that was pivotal because that gave me a taste of the boardroom, not paid for any of that, of course, but a little, you know, some useful experience. Uh, and then perhaps about 10 years ago, I attended a five-day program on directing. And I walked out of that thinking, wow, that was a game changer for me. Now I know exactly what I want to do for the next uh, decade or two. So that took me into what we call a portfolio career. So directing of a number of companies rather than working for one particular organization. Wow, that's, that's impressive. <laughs> As a member of, again, a lot of the corporate boards, uh, do you see kind of, uh, you know, across different businesses, do you see kind of a, a pattern, especially when it relates to directors? Yeah, I think COVID changed a lot in the directing world and, and the business world more generally. Um, there's a saying now that every business is a technology business. Yeah. I'm not sure that people said that five years ago, but COVID changed the way that we deal with our customers and deal with our staff and, uh, and so forth. So technology has become so much more important um, and, and that has meant that, that boards of directors need more technological understanding uh, around the board table. If every company is a technology company, then I think it's fair to say that every company is an HR company as well, because um, you know every company will say people are most, our most important business, but we're starting to recognize that we've got to address some of the challenges. Like, where do we let them work? Yeah. At home or in the office or in a hybrid situation? Hot topic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Climate um, has, has uh, clearly become a much greater focus. Uh, we saw in COVID that by getting all the cars off the, uh, off the roads and closing down a lot of businesses for a period of time, the climate improved, the global climate situation improved. And perhaps that was a wake-up call for us and a reminder that we've really got to get on with this. And so companies are being driven by regulators, by the community, by lenders to address that. Um, supply chains. Now there's a realization that we're not only responsible for what, as a director, for what happens in the company that we're overseeing, but also on, on where they source their materials uh, and so forth. And if part of our supply chain is not doing the right thing by looking after their staff, then that reflects on our company as well and we need to deal with that. Another one is diversity, of course, not just uh, getting more women on boards, although I do think that's important and, and urgent that we get on with that, but younger directors, 
um, directors with different kinds of profiles and backgrounds and experiences and so forth. So uh, big changes, much more responsibility on directors, many more risks, many more ways of going to jail, as they say. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, the privilege of being a director, the, um, the fascination of, of being in that position, the, the joy of being able to lead, I think, is, is more profound than ever. And um, as your role as a mentor for aspiring directors, right, are there any strategies that you would recommend them to achieve their full potential? Yeah, I think what a lot of people who aspire to be a director um, need to understand is perhaps they don't fully appreciate what the role involves. Um, and, and quite frankly, people who have been in an executive role very often find it very difficult to transform into a director, which is a very different set of responsibilities. So I urge people to immerse themselves in learning about what directing involves uh, learn about the role and about the and, and think about the qualities and experiences and qualifications that you would bring to the board, and then um, understand uh, what the gaps are in in your current makeup. What do you need to learn? I mean, if you don't have a technology background, then as we were just saying a moment ago, that it's important to develop that. If you don't have a financial background, uh, understanding the financial statements is one of the most important parts of the role of a director. So think about gaps and plug them. Uh, then get experience, get some credibility. How do you do that? Uh, there are a lot of not-for-profit organizations that are looking for directors. Charities, chambers of commerce, trade associations, uh, organizations like that, they won't pay you anything, probably, but you do uh, get experience, you do get credibility, you do get something that you can uh, put on the, on the CV. Mm. And the final point I would make is most directorships of companies still come about through networking. Yeah. So be out there, be visible, broaden the number of people in the community who know that you have an interest in directing and who would view you as somebody who is reliable, competent, experienced, helpful, an EQ that allows you to, uh, to, to fit in with the organization, um, and then go forward with confidence and self-belief. Great advice. And I think <laughs> one of the points that you touched about uh, is around in terms of the changes, right? And the world is constantly yeah. evolving. And new challenges keep on rising. You gave some examples of what is top of mind for a lot of people. How do you stay ahead of the curve and adapt to these changing uh, circumstances from a business landscape point of view? Yeah, it really is a challenge. And I'm not sure that I do stay ahead. But if I can just manage to keep up, <laughs> uh, that's, that's perhaps not too bad. I attend a lot of um, seminars and conferences and training events and so forth. Um, you know, I think we have some people in the community who have a feeling after a JCU graduation program that that's it. They never have to learn again. Well, <laughs> I've got bad news for those people. Um, I try to, uh, to keep up with my reading. Um, I think one of the best things I try to do is talk to people who know 
a lot more than I do, and that's a lot of people. Um, and uh, sometimes I listen to podcasts while I'm out jogging in the morning. So I guess the, the, that's what I try to do. Mm. Gr- great advice. Um, what, in, in your opinion, what are some of the key qualities and characteristics that define exceptional leadership? Uh, have, have you applied them in your own career? Well, my own career, I would call a, a work in progress, not necessarily the uh, the standard to aspire to. But um, we've already mentioned integrity, but it, it's so important. Um, I don't think many people want to follow a leader or a manager who doesn't demonstrate integrity on a daily basis. And that's that's not just following the law. That's the that's the minimum standard. But it includes things like giving honest feedback to staff and accepting feedback from staff. Um, uh, Good leaders, top leaders, I think, form teams that they trust and then they delegate a lot of responsibility and they empower people to do the job. There's really nothing quite as stressful as being told to do something but not be given the tools to do it. So good leaders make sure that that never happens. Uh, I think that uh, good leaders have a lot of empathy, a lot of EQ, which allows them to understand that everybody on their team and everybody that they deal with is is different, has different issues at home in the family, has different personalities, has different career aspirations, and a good leader manages to to deal with uh, and, and to understand and accept all of those differences and respect the people on the team. And finally, I would say a a good leader uh, strives as much as possible to make the people on their team successful. It's not about themselves. It's about the people who who work on the team. So um, if I could do all those things, I'd be a lot richer today, perhaps. You, I mean, you have been recognized um, with a lot of accolades, and uh, including the Order of Australia, uh, which I still remember attending that ceremony in Singapore. Uh, how do you handle success and use your platform to create meaningful change? Um, well, the first thing I'd say is um, it's important that I don't take that too seriously. Uh, because, um, you know, I certainly recognize that there are many people out there who do so much for the community, for mankind, whatever, who probably haven't been recognized. Um, and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm delighted to have the award. I'm, I feel very honored. But as I say, I, we shouldn't get carried away by that. Um so I'm not sure that I can impact meaningful change, but it it is an honor, and I feel it's an honor. And with that honor comes a certain amount of visibility and therefore a certain amount of responsibility to, to represent Australia in a positive light, particularly for people like me living overseas, living in a different country. Um, so I would hope that when I speak at a conference or meet people at a cocktail party or interact in any way, that at least some of those people go away saying, you know, maybe Australia's not so bad after all. (laughs) So if I can do that, 
at least that's something. <laughs> Looking ahead, and you, you mentioned about the next, uh, you know, decade or two. Um, what goals and aspirations do you have for the future, both personally and professionally, and uh, how do you plan to achieve them? Well, probably at, at my stage of life, the uh, the key aspiration is to stay active and enjoy life for as long as I can. Um, but I would like to continue to encourage Australian companies to learn more about this region, the ASEAN region, uh, and the opportunities that are happening here. I'm not sure how many Australians or Australian business people understand that we have the fastest growing middle class in the world right on their doorstep. Uh, clearly, I'm not talking about Singapore. It's already a very developed country. But in the region, there's so much growth and so much excitement and so much activity. And they need better food, better education, better infrastructure, all the things that Australia can help to provide. So big opportunity, and I'm not sure it's being taken up in the way that I would like to see. Um, I would also encourage Aussie expats living in Singapore to engage with Singapore and its people and its institutions. A lot do, of course, yeah. but perhaps a lot could do more. Um, so so that's, that's where I see the next few years. Awesome. And if you were able to travel back in time, and I think this can be a bit tricky question, right? What, <laughs> what advice would you give your younger, probably 21-year-old self? Okay. Well, with your permission, I'll go back a little bit younger than that okay. to when I was starting university. Uh -huh. um, and I would urge my younger self to take the university opportunity a lot more seriously than I did. I think I tended to think of university as, um, as the big social opportunity after the strictures of boarding school. Uh, and I, uh, I got my degree, but I could have done so much better and I could have learned so much more. And I would tell my younger self about the joy of learning. <laughs> and um, and, and I, it's, it's possibly the only regret I do have in life, that I didn't take up that opportunity as uh, aggressively as I, as I should have. Um, the other thing I'd say to my younger self is understand that you have won the lottery of life. You, uh, you're born in Australia, pretty good start. You um, uh, never got dragged off to war, unlike a lot of other generations. You grew up speaking English, the most important business language in the world. Um, you had a pretty good education. You had a supportive family. So put all that together and, you, and looking at the global situation, you're probably in the luckiest 1% of the world. Make the most of that, but also be generous. Share, share that luck. I, and I don't just mean in dollar terms, but, but share your time, share your advice, give help to people who need it. It's called generosity of spirit. So um, be, a, be seen as a generous person. Uh, so I would hope that that might have resonated with my younger self. 
but I was probably too busy enjoying myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you that you are definitely one of the most generous people I have met in Singapore. Thank and thanks a lot, uh, Phil. And there were a lot of uh, wonderful nuggets that I will walk away with. I'm sure the listeners would too as well. Um, where can the listeners find you online? How can they reach out to you and connect with you? I, I think best way is LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But if you uh, want to take it to the, the physical world as well, let's meet at Ostcham. Let's meet at the uh, Australian Alumni Singapore events. Let's meet at the Singapore Institute of Directors. The great thing about Singapore is so many opportunities to get together. Uh, absolutely. Thanks again, Raj. Thank really you. enjoyed the session. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>